everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Taryn. I'm married to Greg, and I have four beautiful daughters. They call me blessed because I, they are beautiful, and I love them very much. And thank you for the opportunity to preach this evening. And I'm so excited. I feel like this week when I was prepping, I'm like, you know when you write an exam and you study for the exam, and then you feel like you're ready to write, but then you like go back and you check and you change. And you, so it's, I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm about to write an exam. Got those nerves. But I'm so excited because I get the privilege of preaching about a special woman in the Bible named Rahab. And she is a hero of the faith. And we've been doing a few preachers these last few weeks on different heroes of the faith. And I can name a few. And um, one of them is Rahab. And um, I just wanted to tell you her story quickly, just to bring you up to date. If you can't remember who she is or what happened in her life, I will update you quickly. And I will just read the passage of Scripture. So you are welcome to open up with me. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Joshua 2, verse 1. We're going to read all the way to verse 24. So it's quite long. But just to give you some context... The Israelites have come out of Egypt, they've come through the Red Sea, and they've been in Egypt for 40 years. It's a long time. No, not in Egypt, in the desert. Yes, sorry. They came out of Egypt. They've been in the desert for 40 years, and in the beginning of the 40 years, they sent 12 spies to Jericho, which is a city, and they, they came back and reported about this land called Jericho, which God was going to give them. Now, 40 years later, Moses had died, and there was a new leader named Joshua, and Joshua sent two spies into Jericho, and then from there, this is the story. So if you follow with me, it says, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. I don't know about that name. (laughs) Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on her roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage Failed because of you, for the Lord your God, the Ski, is the God of heaven above and the earth below. 
Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives, yeah, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, then we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house where she lived was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers don't find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. So now the men had said to her, the oath you made us swear will not be binding to us unless we enter the land you Sorry, you have, tried, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, mother, brothers, and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside of your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. And as for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our heads if a hand is laid on them. But if, um, Sorry, but if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let this be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in her window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days, until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river that came across to Jordan, son of Nun, sorry, they came at, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him what had, ha what had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting with fear because of us. So now if you just jump to Joshua 6, verse 22. Now they, what happens is the Israelites come to Jericho, they walk around the city seven times, they blow their trumpets, and the walls fall down, except Rahab's little part, I'm sure. They look for the red, the red rope outside. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought her, sorry, they brought out her entire family and put them into the place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver, gold, and articles of bronze and iron into the treasury for the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites today. So, so it's a long story. So, Rahab was a prostitute hiding in the wall. Well, not hiding, living in the wall. And um, she was a Canaanite woman. And she goes, so obviously the story of Rahab deserves our serious consideration, because actually she's mentioned twice in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11 and in James 2. And uh, it's a story of a prostitute living in a city set for destruction who hears of what's to come. She defies the leader of her own people and finds a way not only to save herself but also her family. But she isn't finished yet. She goes on to turn her whole life around. She becomes the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth. I don't know if you know that story. And 
She is the great-grandmother of King David. Isn't that amazing? And then she's the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus Christ in the lineage, if you go down, which is from, she's mentioned in the New Testament in Matthew, actually that's three times, um, in Matthew 1 verse 5, that she's in the lineage of Jesus. Okay, so that is the story of Rahab. Now what I'm going to do this evening is I'm going to take you through five points, and I want you to journey with me in these points. Okay, so they're over there. It's called our root of faith. So I'm going to look at Rahab's root of faith, and then we're going to look at our root of faith as we journey now in this time that we live in. Okay, so our first um, is the first one. I'll just read them quickly. Revelation, reality, risk, response, reward. Our first thing is revelation. Okay, so what was Rahab's revelation? Listen to this. This is a quote from Francine Rivers. She wrote a book on Rahab. It's, um, it's, it's fiction, non-fiction, fiction, but she, um, she, she bases it on, on the scripture. So God could write the name upon the heart of anyone he chose, even a Canaanite prostitute. Out there in the darkness, across the Jordan, inside a wall of a pagan city, was a woman of contemptible reputation who had never seen a miracle, tasted a bite of manna, heard a single word of the law, and yet her faith was strong enough that she greeted, welcomed, and protected those who were coming to destroy her and her people. She believed that the Lord, the God of the Israelites, was the supreme God of the heavens and the earth below. She believed that God was Yahweh, even though she lived in this pagan city and they used to worship idols. And she hung a red rope outside of her window in faith that Joshua, the spies, or the Israelites would remember the promise that they made to save her and her family. So this red rope that's hanging outside ultimately is a symbol of her faith. And do you remember the story when they were in Egypt and they painted the red blood of the lamb on the window posts and the angel of death didn't go inside because the red blood was on the doorposts. And the same thing here, she hung her red rope outside her window and death and destruction did not come to her because she had that red rope as a sign. So, um, this is a sign and a symbol. So think of us, okay, and our roots of faith. Okay, and now our revelation and us today. Think about when you first encountered Jesus Christ for the first time and you discovered or you, your eyes were open to see the truth. Remember the first time you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the first time, and maybe tonight's the first time for some of you, when you heard that you were separated from God in sin, in darkness, there's no hope. You're here, you're on earth, you're born into this world, there's sin, you are sinful, people around you are sinful, and you are separated from God. And then God, in his mercy, sends Jesus, his only son, to the earth to die on the cross, to shed his blood for you and for me, to wash our sins away so that we don't have to have sin anymore. And he unites us, so we're separated, he unites us back to the Father 
Why? Because we get to be inside Jesus. So now we stand in Jesus and we covered in his blood. And now we can be united with the Father. Okay? So that's what it means. Now then we, we realize, okay, I've got this revelation that now I can have a relationship with Jesus and with the Father. It's like I'm now in relationship with him. We commune, we, we together. And do you know what I have to do now? Is I have to repent. Do you know why I have to repent? It's because I'm changing from this way of life, the sinful, dark, death life. And I'm changing the way that I think. And I'm facing this way, and I'm stepping into Jesus, and now I'm a new creation, and I have a new, um, it says that I'm a new man, and I now am in Jesus, and now I think a new way. And I have a new, a new journey and a new route, okay? So what does it mean to be saved? People say, what does it mean to be saved? Well, to be saved means to be in Jesus, to re repent, and to believe. That's all you need to do is just believe and change your way of thinking, okay? To be saved means to be saved. Think of someone drowning in water, and you save them out of water. Drowning, okay, saved. Healed. Actually, did you know that in Jesus we can be healed? We're standing here in his blood, we can be healed. Delivered, protected, made whole, and also the word means safe and sound. Isn't that lovely? In Jesus we're safe and sound. So listen to the scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 10. It's from the Passion Translation. But God still loved us with such a great love he is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Jesus was, so this is just my little interlude. He was our red rope. He hung on the cross. He died. He washed our sins. And he took the wrath that we deserved on himself, okay? So then he raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into glorious perfection and authority with the, of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. So just think about that. When you repent and have this revelation of Jesus, you are now co-seated with Christ. You are in Christ and you are seated with him. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Christ Jesus. For it was only through his wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn the salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will, be ever, so, so no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. So there is nothing that you can do to be saved. You can't do a good work. You can't walk 100 grannies across the road. You can't come to church every Sunday. You can't um, give to charities. The only way you can be saved is to believe what Jesus has done for you. That's all you need to do is to believe. And this is our revelation. This is what we believe as Christians. This is what we, um, yeah, what we live in. So we have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny as given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. 
Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to, to fulfill it. So God had this amazing plan, and he's planned that we come to know him. And he's given us this opportunity to be seated with him. Okay, so my next point is reality, right? So Rahab's reality, I want to look at reality in two lights. The first light of reality is the flesh. The second light of reality is the spirit and heaven. Okay, so Rahab's reality in the flesh was that she was stuck inside the walls of Jericho. Her and her people were doomed for destruction and death, and she was a prostitute, desperate for freedom. So that was Rahab's reality, right? But Rahab, in that moment, believed she had faith, and she believed. She believed in the God of the Israelites, Yahweh. She believed that she was made for more than what she could see. She believed that she could have a new life, new people, new home, a new freedom, free from the life of sin. And then God sent two spies for her salvation. So that's what she believed, right? So she lived in the reality of her situation, but actually her reality was God, Yahweh, who was her savior, right? That was her true reality. She was living in the wall, but her true reality was Yahweh. So what's our reality, okay? We are in this world. We have lots of problems, right? There's the flesh, there's sin, the old man. We, even though some of us, we've been born again, but we struggle with the flesh and we're living in sickness and there's all these things that are on us that we're struggling with. with. And then you have what God promised, which is living by faith, believing what Jesus has done, righteousness, a new man. So listen to this, Paul writes a letter to the Galatians, and he's quite strong in his wording, but he says in Galatians 3, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You received the Spirit, I'm sorry, did you receive the Spirit by works or by faith? After believing what you heard, that Christ was crucified. Now begin with, you begin with the Spirit, but now you're trying to finish in the flesh. So he's saying you believed, and you believed what Jesus did, and you stood in Christ, and you're in Jesus, but now you're going back to the flesh. You're going back to your old ways. You're going back to your old man. And he's saying, live by the Spirit. Live by, live by Jesus. So you are now, let's look at the Spirit, the new man. You are in Christ, seated in heavenly places. Live by the Spirit. So I'm telling you guys tonight, I'm saying to you, live by the Spirit. Look around you, and you see lots of dark, dooming, horrible things, right? But don't live there. Live by the Spirit. You are seated with Christ. That is your reality. Your reality is that you are seated with Christ. Some of you need to sit tonight in Jesus. Some of you need to stop trying to do good works or trying to be a better person. You just need to sit with Jesus tonight, in Jesus. You need to sit there and rest in him. Just be. Be loved. Be loved. Just be. Be healed. 
Be restored. Be made whole. Don't be led by the problems that you're facing. Don't let them lead you. So, this is such radical stuff here. Let God's promise lead you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, live by faith and not by sight. So it's actually saying, don't live by what you're seeing. So if you are sick with cancer, don't live by that. Don't live by what you see, live by faith. Okay? So if you're sick, believe that God is your healer and declare that he is your healer. And you know what? Even if you don't get better, still believe that God is your healer. And you know what? Even if you die from cancer, die believing that he is your healer. Your reality is in heaven. Your reality is in Christ. You are seated with him. You've won the battle already. You're in him. His blood is over you. You are victorious already. Now all you need to do is just be in Christ. You actually don't have to do anything. You just have to sit. He says sit. You just have to sit. Some of you are trying too hard. Just sit in Jesus. Just sit. Stop striving. It's not even about if you come to church. It's not even about just sit in Jesus. You are victorious even in death. And it's not because of you. There's nothing you've done. It's because of Jesus and what he's done. Okay, so that's your reality, guys. Co-seated with Christ. We're not looking at our problems and we're looking at our promises that God's given us, okay? Okay, so let's look at risk. So what was Rahab's risk, right? Rahab had met those spies, and then in her mind, she had to make a decision quickly. She had to count the cost of what she was about to do. She had to think, okay, these spies are here. Am I going to hide them in my roof? I'm going to actually risk my life. The king of Jericho might kill me because I'm hiding these guys in my roof. It's like a big deal that she's risking her life here. And she's not only risking her life, she's risking the life of her entire family who were in the house with her. So, and she was putting her trust, trust in two spies. So there was lots of risk for Rahab, right? So what's our risk? Have you weighed up how much believing in Jesus is going to cost you? To choose to give your life over to Christ, you have to realize the requirements. I'm playing on the R's tonight. There has to be a radical obedience. Are you willing to give it all up because of your revelation of your relationship and your new reality? So now you have this amazing revelation of what Jesus has done and you're in him and you're seated and you're washed by his blood and you're a new creation and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And now you have to count the costs. Now you have to give up your Jericho. You've got to give it up. You've got to let it go. 
you've got to walk away. Think of Rahab, everything she had known, she had to give up and start a new life with the Israelites. So there's a quote by David Platt, and he says, can we take an honest look at the Jesus of the Bible and dare to ask what the consequences might be if we really believe him and we really obeyed him? Listen to some of these scriptures. This is so radical. I'm like so challenged. And I just wanted to say that all of us are on different parts of our journey. Some of us are still getting a revelation. Some of us are learning, discovering our reality. Some of us are now taking risks. So everyone's in a different place. But listen to this. So John 12, 25. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. But the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. So he's pretty much saying, give up your life, die to yourself, and receive the true life of Christ. In um, Galatians 2 verse 20, it says, have you, uh, sorry, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So I died to this old way here. I was here. This is dead, and I'm now a new creation in Jesus. So the old is gone, okay? Dying to that life, okay? In Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. But whoever does not carry his cross and cannot... Um, sorry, can, and follow me, cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost and see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person who began to build wasn't able to finish it. And then it goes on to share about a king, and then he says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. So, like I said, it, it's all you need to do to be saved is to believe, but to believe is actually going to cost you everything. So count the cost before you make the decision to follow Jesus and realize what it's going to cost you because it's going to cost you your everything. So listen to the story, okay? There's the underground church in Iran. And um, I watched a documentary about it the other day. And it's mainly made up of women um, because I, I don't, they're the most oppressed in that nation. I believe God uses the, mo the, the, the weak of this world to shame the wise. Anyway, there are men in the church. But the, anyway, they're an underground church, so they're hidden. They do things in secret. But what they do is they meet together and they read the Bible together. They meet as a group and they read the Bible um, they just have tea at each other's houses and they read. And the story goes that this one lady began in Genesis and she read through and when she got to the Gospels, she fell on her knees and she had this amazing revelation of what Jesus has done and that she's free from her sin and she encounters Jesus in the middle of Iran. And then what she had to do in that group, they said to her, now do you realize what you're doing? Because do you realize that it's going to cost you your family, that if people find out that you are a Christian, they're going to kill you. In Iran, if you proclaiming Jesus, you might die. And you're a woman. So 
what they, get, they do is they get the people who give their lives to Jesus to sign a contract to say, do you realize what it's going to cost? Can you weigh it? Can you really do this? Can you really? But when you weigh up this old life, sin, death, it's, it's, and you realize what you're stepping into, it's easy. It's easy to give that up, right? You know, it's easy to live for Jesus, and it's, it becomes easy to die for him because if you realize and you have a revelation, a true revelation of what he's done, it's, I don't know if it's easy, but I'm, what I mean is it becomes your everything, right? Okay, so that is our risk. So weigh it up. So if you've never given your life to Jesus tonight, think about it first if you really want to. <laughs> but it's so worth it, I promise. Okay, so Rahab's response. Okay, in, in James 2, we see Rahab's actions, her works. And it says, The same is true of the prostitute named Rahab, who was found righteous in God's eyes by her works. For she, re- she received the spies into her home and helped them escape from the city. Another route. Okay, so Rahab believed, and then she acted on her faith. She actually hid the spies in her house. That was her, her action. She acted on what she believed. Now, in James 2, it says that faith that doesn't involve works is dead. I'll show you faith by my works as proof to what I believe. Okay? So now that you have this amazing revelation of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're living in the reality of being co-seated with Christ, and you realize the risk that it's going to cost you, what are you going to do with what you heard, with what you have heard? What actions are you going to put into place to demonstrate your faith? So think about it. What actions must we take? And then what a great question to ask is, well, what's God's will for my life? Because I want to, make, I want to take action that's in His will, right? I want to take the next step that's in God's will. And I've been asking that, like, what's your will, God? I'm born again. I'm healed. I'm whole. I'm, I'm living in Jesus. So what now? What must I do? You know, I've got this beautiful, amazing relationship with you, and what must I do now? And I just love this. It's John 2020. Isn't that cool? 2020. And it, Jesus comes into the room, and he says, peace be with you in 2020. And then in 2021 to 23, it says, Jesus repeated his greeting, saying, peace to you. He told them, just as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Then, taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So some of you tonight have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you need to be, because that's your next step. If you've been born again, then you need to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? Then he says, I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins, and the people's sins will be forgiven. But if you do not proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. So he's saying, now, go and tell people that I love them. Go and tell people that I've forgiven them. How's about this? I dare you to go to the person that you sit next to at work and say, did you know that your sins are forgiven? Imagine if you said that to them. Your sins are forgiven. Did you know that? And tell them about Jesus. 
15. <laughs> they might just become born again. But that's the will of the Father, is to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And then it says in Matthew 10 verse 8, you must continually bring healing to the lepers, to those who are sick, make it your habit to break off the demonic presence from people, raise the dead back to life. Freely you have received the power of the kingdom, now freely release it to others. <laughs> it's like easy, eh? Just kind of raise the dead, excuse me. <laughs> It's funny because it's like, it seems so simple, eh? Um, then another one is, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. These are some of the things that we can do now that we're born again and seated with Christ. So I am encouraging you guys to listen to the Father's voice and obey. If he says sell everything, then sell it. Preach the forgiveness of sins. Love one another. And then Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, now go in that same authority. Go. So there's this amazing commission that he gives us once we're in him. And just to read from Acts 2, verse 38 to 47, this is a lovely journey of um, Peter. He preaches the gospel, and listen to what happens to these people who get saved, right? So he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Same thing, right? The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all, of, for all whom the Lord will call. So, 3,000 were added to that number daily in Acts. And then he says, and then it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Everyone was filled with, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So he's saying, be in community. Love one another. Find a family. He's saying, but be in Christ. Be seated with him. So there's, like I say, it's a journey, and I'm trying to shove the whole walk of faith into one preach. But it's, some of you need to sit some of you need to risk. Some of you need to um, respond. That was respond was my point that I left out, but respond. And then the last thing is reward, okay? So Rahab's reward, what was her reward? Her reward was new life, new purpose, a new people, an inheritance. She was then added into the lineage of Jesus she became the mother of Boaz, the great-grandmother of David, and she gained freedom from her life of prostitution. So that's what Rahab's reward was. And, um, yeah, that, she's free. She was free. So what's our reward? Our reward is Jesus. Hmm? Just think about it. True life, 
life to the full, forgiveness of sins, union with the Father, an amazing joy set before you. You have an amazing joy set before you. So endure your cross. You have true identity. You are a daughter or a son of the King. Believe it. Be in it. You are adopted into his family, the church. You have a new people. When you're born again, you have a new people. You have a new purpose. You have something to live for. You have something to die for. Another reward is rest. In Hebrews 4.3, it says, For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of confident rest. That's a part of our reward. We get to rest. We don't have to strive anymore. So what does it mean to be an ordinary radical on the root of faith? With a revelation of relationship and true repentance, living in the reality of being seated with Christ, willing to risk it all for him because of what he's done for us, responding in action and living out our faith out of the overflow of our hearts flows our good works, looking forward to our great reward and living with our true reality, even in the now. So my last scripture is Philippians 3, 7 to 14, which I'm just getting because I didn't write it down. It says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And there's um, a book that I've been reading. It's called Radical by David Platt. You should read it. It's a good one. And I was thinking he talks about ordinary radicals, people that seem ordinary but are actually making great calls of faith, steps of faith. And I was thinking of some. And if you were to meet some of these ordinary radicals, maybe like a Rahab or maybe in our midst, maybe a Tita, or maybe a Rose Binder, or a Doug and Sheena McDonald, or a Terry and Sandy Kruger, a Graham and Emmy Taylor, a Dawn Castleman, a Jojo Wiggly. <laughs> you might not see anything extraordinary about them, these are unassuming people who have achieved varying levels of success in this world. 
but all of them have this thing in common. They believe they were created for more. They believe the purpose of their lives is deeper than having a nice job, raising a decent family, living a comfortable life, and tacking church attendance to the end of it. They believe that Jesus has called them to a much higher plane and given them a much greater dream. They believe God has shown them great grace in order that he might use them to accomplish his glorious, global, God-exalting purpose that has been primary since the beginning of time. And they don't want to settle for anything less than radical abandonment to his purpose. Their hearts are consumed with making the glory of God known in all the nations. So, my question for you this evening is what is stopping you? And you know what? Get rid of it. What's your next step? Think about it. What's your next step tonight after this preach? And you know what? Take it. Take your next step. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be raising the dead tomorrow. But it's just a small step. Maybe you can. But just a small step. Take it. What's your next step? We're all on a journey. Life is so short. Don't waste another minute. Let's do this for the glory of his name. Think about what he's done. Think about who you are in him. Let's not waste our time. Let's get going. I said to Gregor, what's my word for the year? Faith, I love faith. It's a beautiful word. But I'm like action. I'm like, I wanna do it. I wanna do faith. I wanna live faith. I wanna take my step. It doesn't have to be big. Maybe it's just speaking to your friend or maybe it's selling your car or maybe it's just believing. It's different for each person. But take your next step tonight. I want you to respond. So I hope that I've inspired you and encouraged you and reminded you that you're seated with Christ. If that's the only thing you remember, just remember that. Because that'll change your life forever. You're covered in this blood. You've got that red rope outside your window. 